Have you ever noticed a loose thread on a piece of clothing and pulled on it, only to discover that when you tugged on it, it didn't stop with just that small area that you first noticed. It unraveled a lot more than you bargained for. One stitch led to another, and another, and another. Yeah, pulling on that thread revealed a lot of places connected to that little string that you first noticed that seemed out of place. Well, in this episode of the Discover the Word podcast, Daniel Ryan Day wants to pull on a thread with the group, a thread that he noticed when reading in the Gospel of Mark. He was reading a familiar section in Mark chapter 1, the one about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And he paused at what seemed like a random reference to wild beasts. Where did that come from? And so what will we discover together when we pull on that thread of wild beasts? I think you may be surprised. Let's pull on that thread together and see what unravels as we discover the word. Welcome to Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. Now, here on the Discover the Word podcast, we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible, Discover the Word. And this week, Daniel is going to be guiding the group through this thread-pulling process of looking for the recurring theme of wild beasts in Scripture and discovering that wild beasts show up in a number of ways, and those wild beasts actually do point us to Jesus. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. So let's get started on this intriguing series of conversations about wild beasts. Daniel? Some of the best Bible studies that we have together are a result of noticing something that we haven't seen before and wondering, I wonder if there's something here, a theme or an idea or something in the scriptures that we should follow. And so this week, I want to pull on a thread with you for something that I had never seen before. So we're just going to jump straight into this scripture and then we'll talk together a little bit. Does that sound like... Sound like fun? You got me curious, yeah. Yeah. We'll see. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to be in the book of Mark, the good news according to Mark, chapter one, and we're going to read his entire description of the temptation of Jesus. So, Elisa, if you would, will you read Mark chapter one, verses 12 through 13? Sure. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Did you notice the phrase wild beasts? Have you seen that before? Yes, I didn't pay much attention to it, but I've seen it. Yeah, it's interesting. The NIV calls it wild animals, Mm -hmm. but um, your translation is wild beasts. And wild animals is a good thing to keep in mind because oftentimes, depending on the translation, you might see the word beast or you might see wild animals. And we'll talk about that some as we go. But they're different, aren't they? I mean, in the way we think about them, because like, you know, for people who like Disney stuff, beauty and the animal doesn't have the same (laughs) kind of ring to it as beauty and the beast. Right. (laughs) Yeah. In fact, what comes to mind when you think about wild beasts? You know, I go to scorpions 
if we're talking Ooh. about the wilderness. Ooh. Because yeah. I know in the Judean wilderness to this day, you huh. can go out there and you can turn over rocks and find them, you know, hmm. along with snakes. and You can find a lot of things under rocks, Mark. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the word wild tells me one thing and the word beasts mm-hmm. tells me a different thing. Wild means undomesticated, therefore probably dangerous. Mm-hmm. Does it have to be mammals? Not necessarily. What we're going to see, especially in our next part of the conversation, is we'll see a list of different creatures and the wild beasts being one part of the list. And so I'm going to ask you to hold on to that for a little bit to our next conversation, Mart. But no, it's not just mammals. It could refer to a few different types. In fact, the Greek word here is therion, which can be even translated snake. In fact, if you remember the story with Paul, when he's on that island after a shipwreck and he gets bit by a therion, he Mm. gets bit by a serpent and everybody's amazed that he doesn't die. And so there is a level at which the wild beast can refer to more than just that. So, Daniel, maybe it's just me and the era in which I grew up, but sometimes when I hear wild beasts, I go to demons, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, especially if you're going to look at Jesus tempted in the wilderness, I go there. Is that part of this concept? So part of why I want to pull on this thread in the Bible together is because I think Mark is pulling on a theme that shows up throughout the Bible that, in my opinion, and again, being very clear opinion, I don't think he's referring to those types of beasts here where it's like a demonic presence or something. Okay. But I was just in a conversation this week with a, a New Testament scholar that we were interviewing for a different show. And he had mentioned that there's a whole school of thought that is, that's exactly what Jesus was dealing with here, hmm. that we have this contrast between the angels who waited on Jesus and we have yeah. the contrast on the demonic forces that were tempting hmm. Jesus which could be a valid interpretation of this. Hmm. But as we pull on this thread, we'll see where we end up together. But that's a great question. So thank you for asking that. It seems, Daniel, just from looking at the verse itself, that you have two different things. You have Jesus being driven in the wilderness where he's tempted for 40 days by Satan. That's one part of the verse. Then the second part is he's with the wild beasts and the angels are waiting on him. seems like Mm -hmm. there are two different things there. And that would seem to me like the... The dark part of the experience has passed, and now a different thing is happening, which would make me kind of line up with what you're saying about it probably not being demonic forces at that point. Does that make sense? Well, let me just push back in uh, Luke 4, though. The devil's with him through the whole thing. So anyway, we're chewing on this, and obviously you've gotten our attention, Daniel. So <laughs> this is interesting for sure. No, this is great, because I think these are all valid questions that we bring when we run into a phrase or an idea in the Bible that we haven't seen before. And so let's pull on the thread. Let's just start here, though, for this conversation And the reason I want to spend a whole conversation just on this one passage is because I want us to keep this passage with us throughout all of the conversations, because I think something is happening here that is indicating something has changed as a result of Jesus coming into the world. This is some of those early signals that this person, Jesus, is not like other people and something is changing in the world as a result. Obviously, this is a pretty important detail to Mark because as we just saw, how long was the whole temptation account of Jesus in the book of Mark? 
two verses. Yeah. Yeah. If we look at the book of Matthew or if we look at Luke, the book of Matthew has 11 verses on Jesus's temptation. Luke has 13 verses, so a much larger story. Mark is the shortest of the gospels and tends to have shorter accounts of different stories. But as a result, all the details that Mark includes in a story are pretty important details. And so the fact that he includes, and he was with the wild beasts in his account, means that there's something important here that Mark wants to draw attention to. So let's talk about just this verse a little bit. So it starts with, Bill, as you mentioned, the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. If we rewind all the way to the beginning of the story in Genesis, the story of the Bible, who is driven out of something first? Yeah, the first couple. Yeah. And they're driven out of what to where? They're driven out of Eden into some place that is not Eden. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're not really specifically told a whole lot of detail about it, but you get the idea that there's a big contrast mm-hmm. between where they've been and where they will now yeah. be. And there's definitely been some kind of separation from the presence of God that they experienced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're no longer in paradise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the phrase that often shows up is they were driven east of Eden, and that shows up a few times throughout Genesis, this idea that they're not in Eden anymore. So this paradise that they originally experienced is separated from them in some way. And so uh, here we have Jesus driven out by the Spirit. And I was reading a conversation that was on the Bible Project podcast. And one of the things that they indicated was that this is an early reference to Jesus being the new Adam which is one of the themes that we see in the New Testament. And, and what kind of is that concept? Because that could sound kind of weird, Jesus being the new Adam. What's the idea there? Well, Paul talks about it in Romans as being the first Adam brought sin into the world, but the second Adam, Jesus, brought rescue from the consequences mm-hmm. of the sin the first Adam brought. Yeah. And so if that's what Mark is beginning to describe, (laughs) because Jesus is being driven out into the wilderness, then that's this first layer, potentially. And so that might connect with what's happening with uh, the wild beasts. What's also significant about the wilderness in the Old Testament, especially? It's a place of danger. It's a place of testing for Mm -hmm. the people of Israel. And preparation, you know, it seems like, you know, Moses... um, Israel themselves, Paul went into the wilderness for a season before his public Mm. ministry. Mm. Yeah, Elijah did Mm -hmm. as well, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, so this type of preparation. And what's interesting is what is the preparation that Jesus is experiencing in the wilderness? That's interesting, Daniel. I go straight to the struggle, the battle with Satan, because that's what he experienced there, and that's what he would experience throughout his ministry, and that's what he would experience on the cross. Mm -hmm. It seems to be a step in a series of steps prior to launching his public ministry. So you had his baptism in which he was announced by John the baptizer, and then the temptation in which, like you said, Elisa, he's wrestling with these tests. And then following that, he begins the actual public ministry. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I think that helps us realize that there's a statement about preparation happening here for Jesus is the phrase 40 days. Mm. He's tempted for 40 days. It's another theme that we see throughout the scriptures related to the flood and related to a few other uh, stories of people that are being prepared for something. 
And so we see this preparation at the very beginning of Mark's account of Jesus' life of experiencing a lot of the things that humans experience. We've had lots of conversations about Jesus and how he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin, or um, that he experienced what it was like to be truly human. And I wonder, as he's out there in the wilderness with the wild beasts, if there's even maybe a reference here to some of the fear that we experience when we think of Mm. wild beasts. Hmm. It's obviously a dangerous place that Jesus is in. And yet there's almost this underlying statement that Mark's making, which is Jesus was with those dangerous wild beasts, but he wasn't killed. Hmm. And so maybe there's a statement about Jesus's strength or his power here. It's interesting, Daniel, you know, you talk about this is maybe a way of announcing that with Jesus, something different is happening. And as you've been talking, I've been thinking about the comparison with this and the Garden of Eden. And at Eden, the first couple failed the test Mm -hmm. and angels barred them from the Mm -hmm. garden. Here, Jesus passes the test Mm -hmm. and angels come to help him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. And If we are going to truly pull on this thread and see where we end up, this theme of the wild beasts, that's where we have to go next. And so through our series of conversations, I want to pull on the thread of the wild beasts with you. And in order to do that, we'll have to go all the way back to the beginning. So does that sound like fun? Let's do it. (laughs) It sounds super interesting. Yeah. Have you ever been in nature somewhere? And if so, I'd I'd like you just to describe it a little bit, but a place where you felt like what you were seeing or experiencing, this is how it's supposed to be, right? Like Mm -hmm. this is how God intended creation, unadulterated, unbroken, like a beautiful picture of just the glory of creation. Can you think of a time? Mm -hmm. For years and years, I'd heard this Crosby, Stills and Nash song called Southern Cross, and it says, and it, when you see the Southern Cross for the first time, blah, 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 which is a constellation that you only see in the Southern Hemisphere. And one of the times I was in Australia, I was out in the country, mm. miles and miles from the city with any ambient lights, and I walked out into this field and looked up, and I actually saw the Southern Cross for the Ooh. first time, <laughs> but it was in the middle of a billion stars, and it mm. was so bright I've never forgotten that moment. Uh, you know, in a very different way, comes to my mind is being out on a lake early in the morning. <laughs> Got to be around water, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and the wind is not blowing, and the sun is just coming up, and there's just something about being on the water. Mm. It just seems like paradise to mm. yeah. When I think I was just out of high school, and I was down at Galveston Beach in Texas, and it was like late in the evening, maybe 10 o'clock at night, and the moon had just risen up over the ocean and all the phosphorescence in the waves was catching the the light of the moon and the waves were rolling towards me. Mm. And the moon was huge and I felt like I could almost <laughs> touch it. It was majestic. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. I have quite a few stories that I can think of, but the one I thought I would share for this conversation, since we're in a conversation about wild beasts, was one time I went hiking (laughs) with a a buddy of mine, Michael, and we were hiking in the mountains of North Carolina, which already is an amazing scene, next to a river, which 
just makes it even better already. <laughs> and then he and I heard a crashing sound and we looked over and there was these two black bears that we had spooked and they had ran into the water or just past the water and were looking back at us. And <laughs> it was just this moment of like seeing these two creatures, these powerful creatures. Going in the other direction. Going right? <laughs> in the other direction. I was with my buddy. So, you know, neither one of us were intimidated or scared, but it was this moment. So was he going to protect you uh, from them? <laughs> well, Bill, of course, I would have protected him. Oh, um, okay. Because yeah. bears run fast. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, to Mart's point, they were running in the correct direction, which was away from good, us, which good. is why I think it was peaceful and good. <laughs> but it was just one of those moments, right, of experiencing the creation of the world. What were some of the emotions you all felt in each of those settings? To me on the water, there was a serenity. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's nice. Yeah, a freshness. Yep. Yeah. Mm. And I felt awe. I felt small next to mm -hmm. the big mm -hmm. and the yeah. mighty with the waves and the moon. Mm. I felt a sense of wonder. Yeah. But also a sense of uh, satisfaction, mm -hmm. I think. Uh, just so grateful to be able to have that moment of experience. Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask each of us and all of our listeners as well to hold on to some of those emotions as we think about those moments of experiencing that awe and wonder of creation. And I want to read these verses together. This is in Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 through 26. And I want to listen for the phrase, either wild beasts or wild animals. It'll depend on your translation, which one of those you see. But that's the setting that we're in here, is this unadulterated, unbroken creation. And I would imagine Adam and Eve experiencing that wow, that wonder, that awe, that serenity as they are in this setting. And we're actually going to start right before Adam and Eve show up in the story. So let's read Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 through 26. Mart, would you read that for us? Okay. 24 says, Then God said, Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that's what happened. In verse 25, God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. In verse 26, then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Well, those wild animals pop out all of a sudden. Yeah, okay. that's right. And Mart, to the question you asked in our first conversation, we see a list here of different types of creatures. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think wild animals necessarily refers to just mammals, but we see this kind of progression of lists. So we have cattle, so livestock. We have creeping things, so maybe some of those wilderness creeping crawlies that we <laughs> talked about in our last conversation. <laughs> and then we have uh, wild animals. And so I think mm. there's a little bit of a contrast here between like domesticated livestock and wildness that we see. At this point in the story, what's true of these wild beasts, these wild animals? They're good. They're, They're good. good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what's true of the relationship that humans have with the wild beasts? Mm. Well, humankind has given a position of some kind of 
supervision or oversight mm -hmm. over the beasts, the wild beasts and the domesticated, I guess. I like the word care. You know, we're responsible to care for them too, which definitely includes that, Bill. It's a kind of a, mm, it's a little bit softer the way I'm hearing it. Yeah, you know what comes to my mind? Are the wild animals in the garden? <laughs> you know, does this text, are we talking about he created them, mm. but are they all in the garden or are some on the outside? Yeah. That's a great question. We're not told, are we? Now we know Adam and Eve are in the garden at this point, and they're interacting with these wild beasts or wild animals, so at least some of them are in the garden. Yeah, we saw in our previous conversation, Daniel, where when Adam and Eve fall and succumb to temptation that they are driven from the garden, but there's nothing in the text that would make us believe that before that happened, that they were restricted to the garden, hmm. right? I mean, That's a good point. Uh, there's nothing that says they couldn't have come and gone freely before. Hmm. But what happens in Genesis 3 is that they no longer have access to go back into the garden. Does hmm. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that does. So the animals, the wild animals, could have come and gone then too, right? Sure. Yeah. Well, we know there was a snake in the garden, so we'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So what we see here, right here at the beginning of the story, is we see uh, the wild beasts, something that in our first conversation we talked about how we're afraid of them. But at this point in the story, it's something that's described as good. It's a part of God's very good creation. Not only that, but there's this responsibility, this relationship that men and women have with the wild beasts, and it paints this picture of creations in harmony. Good things are happening, that in some way, even the wild beasts are submitting to Adam and Eve or in some kind of relationship where they're accepting Adam and Eve's oversight or management or care for them. But that isn't really the case anymore, is it? Is that the world that we see and experience now? So then are you pointing out, Daniel, that there's a contrast between Adam and Eve's relationship with the animals before Genesis 3 and their relationship after Genesis 3? Yeah, absolutely. And what we're going to see in the conversations as we continue through this is what wild beasts become a symbol for from this point forward. So in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, we see that this relationship between men and women and the wild beasts is broken in some way. And as a result of that, wild beasts become creatures that crush or maim or destroy other creatures. We're going to see that the wild beasts become creatures that crush, maim, and destroy people. We're going to see that wild beasts are used as a threat from people toward their enemies. And so from this point in the story where we have the wild beasts as described as good, as in harmony with creation. Hmm. This is going to deteriorate really quickly throughout the rest of the story of the Bible until, I think, when we get to Jesus. But again, we're just pulling on these threads and we'll see where we end up as we go through the conversations. Daniel, with this relationship changing and so forth, we often think about how the sin in the garden impacted creation in a general sense. But now you're getting very specific. You're getting very mm -hmm. granular in how it affected one particular part of creation, and that's the wild beasts, as they're mm -hmm. called. How do you see that happening, and, and what might that have looked like? And I'm asking you to speculate, but that's okay. Yeah, well, I think we're going to see very visceral and sometimes disturbing descriptions of how that played out 
in our next mm. couple conversations. Okay. Because we're going to see wild beasts go from something that we describe as very good, as a very good part of God's creation in harmony with creation, to agents of decreation, of destruction, of the very symbol of the brokenness of creation. Mm. But I don't want to lose sight of something that I want to make sure that we get in before we get to that part. Because God never stops caring about the wild beasts. And this is something that really popped to me as I was looking at it. And I'll mention a couple different references, but we're going to read Psalm 50, verse 10, that also mentions the wild animals. But I want to mention a couple other passages as well that kind of paint this picture of God's care for the wild beasts. Wild beasts were rescued at the flood. After the flood, when God makes a covenant with Noah, he doesn't just make the covenant with Noah, he makes the covenant also with the wild beasts. They're listed in Genesis chapter 9, verses 9 through 11, Mm -hmm. as I'm making a promise with you, wild beast, to never destroy the world this way. In Psalm 147, 9, we see God feed the wild beasts. In Exodus 23, part of the beautiful sabbatical year where they leave all of the fields without anything growing in them, is to provide for the wild beasts. We see God make a covenant of peace with the wild beasts in Hosea 2.18. And we see God not wanting the wild beasts to be afraid because he provides for them in Joel chapter 2, verses 22. So that's God's care for the wild beasts. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the most beautiful pictures of this comes in Psalm 50, verse 10. Elisa, will you read that for us? Sure. For every wild animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Yeah, so we began this by seeing that list of different sets of creatures that God created, and he created them good. And here we have two of those sets listed in Psalm 50. Every wild animal, every wild beast of the forest is mine. God cares for them. And so as we begin going through this, I just want to remind us of something that Jesus said many years later. And that was that if God cares about the wild animals, how much more does he care about you and me? Mm. And so we're going to walk into some pretty ugly conversations now as we see what wild beasts become a symbol for. But I don't want us to lose sight of the good news that's hidden in this thread, which is that God cares deeply for the wild beasts. He doesn't want them to be afraid. And if he cares for the beasts, how much more does he care about his children, you and me. You're listening to the Discover the Word podcast with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. And Daniel, I think you're right. This was an important conversation to have because these conversations about wild beasts in the Bible will take kind of an ugly turn as we see what wild beasts became a symbol for. But we can't forget how much God cares for his creation, both animal and human. And so when we continue to follow where this thread takes us in the scriptures, we're going to see wild beasts gone, well, wild. So when did we begin to consider the wild beasts something to be afraid of? Was it always that way? Will it always be that way? Part three of our conversation about wild beasts and what it was that put the wild into wild beasts follows this message. You often hear me say that Discover the Word is part of Our Daily Bread Ministries. 
And if you've never used the Our Daily Bread devotional before, or maybe it's been a while since you've read it, I would highly encourage you to take advantage of this free resource. For more than 60 years, this treasured devotional has helped people around the world develop a consistent, ongoing habit of Bible reading and prayer. Because maybe you're just not a morning person, and then your days are packed with busyness, and then at the end of the day, uh, you're exhausted. Yeah, for so many reasons, we often don't have the energy to have regular time with God. And yet we so need that time to meet with God so He can meet with us. Well, the Our Daily Bread devotional can help. Millions around the world use it for their moments of quiet reflection on their relationship with God. And there are a number of ways that you can get Our Daily Bread. We'll send you the printed booklet to your home at no cost. Or you can read it online, download the app, or sign up to receive the daily emails. Just go to odb.org. That's odb.org. And now let's continue to pull on that thread of wild beasts in the Bible. In this part of the conversation, Daniel calls wild beasts gone, well, wild. Have you ever been afraid of a wild animal or a wild beast before? And would you be willing to share that story? <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, there have been times Evan and I have been out hiking. Like just last summer, we came across some bighorn sheep, which is like a wonderful thing unless they're two feet from you. <laughs> but more for me is I go visit this friend of mine who's a manicurist. And she has these two dogs that every time I ring her doorbell, they come and I have been bitten by them several times. So now I'm a little bit manicure avoidance. Uh, yeah. You know, I had a wild animal in the backyard and I'm scared to death of them. Yeah. Yeah. You ever gotten too close to a skunk? <laughs> Being anywhere near a skunk is too close to a skunk. <laughs> uh, for me, snakes. I hate snakes. And in a former life, I worked on a survey crew. And uh, we were in a part of Virginia where we were surveying some gas lines and stuff and going up the side of a hill. And the guys at the front of the line, I was toward the end of the line, but the guys at the front of the line were dislodging rocks. And from time to time, we'd find a nest of snakes under a rock and no, you just you. <laughs> you're not alone though mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> i've seen grown men run and squeal <laughs> in the presence of snakes yes i can remember as a kid we had horses and chickens and cows for a little while and every once in a while my job would be to go close up the barn at night and i remember you know being eight nine ten eleven twelve And for some reason, I just had this picture in my head, I guess it was because I grew up in the country, that there were wolves. And I would sprint back to that house. And I never saw wolves, never heard them. Later in life, I found out how rare it would have been to even see one in the mountains of North Carolina. But my imagination, there were a lot of wolves in those mountains, and they were always chasing me (laughs) at night. And in our last conversation, we were talking about how at the beginning of the story in Genesis, wild beasts were described as very good. And we saw this harmony. The wild beasts were in harmony with creation. And so that fear that we're all describing doesn't seem to be present in that early first and second chapters of Genesis when it refers to their interactions with animals and wild beasts. But today what we're going to see is after the fall in Genesis chapter 3, 
the relationship between humans and animals, especially the wild beasts, changes big time. And these wild beasts become basically pictures of the opposite of creation, but of decreation or degradation or the destruction of God's very good creation. Before we jump into these passages, um, I just want to kind of reference that one of the things that's really important to us on Discover the Word is always talking through the context of different passages, but we're not going to have the time to do that for all of these today because there is another way to study the Bible too sometimes that's helpful, and that's where you take a theme or an idea and then you find all the different passages that reference that theme or idea, and you kind of see how is this theme described in different sections or whatever. So, of course, it's important to have context, and I would encourage people to look at the context of these as they have time. But we're going to do a survey today of the term wild beasts. So the first place I want to turn is Ecclesiastes 3.19. And Mart, if you could look that up for us. And what we're going to see here is that one of the results of the fall that we've described is death. Mm. So sin, brokenness, and then as a result, death enters the world. And we're going to see that that affects the wild beasts as much as it affects the humans. So this is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 19. Uh, Verse 19 says, For people and animals share the same fate. Both breathe and both must die. Mm. So people Mm. have no real advantage over the animals. How meaningless, the author says. Yeah. Do you think that means that before the fall, just like death had not entered Mm. the human experience, it was also not part of the wild beast experience, Daniel? Good question. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wonder. You know, we talk often about what is clearly communicated and what is probable Mm -hmm. and then what is possible. I think that's probably a probable. I mean, based on what Ecclesiastes seems to be drawing attention to is that some kind of reality for the wild beasts has changed. And it's that they experience death just like humans experience death. Okay. Not only do they die, but another thing that we see is wild beasts become a cause of death. So again, to this disharmony of creation that we now see, this decreation. And a good picture of that is in Exodus chapter 22, verse 31. And this is in the law codes where they're describing these are the different things you can eat and these are the things you shouldn't eat. And this is one of the things they shouldn't eat. And so, Elisa, if you'll read Exodus chapter 22, verse 31. Okay, it says, You shall be consecrated to me. Therefore, you shall not eat any flesh that is torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. So you really want us to focus in on beasts in the field mm-hmm. are tearing apart other beasts in the field and causing yeah. death. And there's quite a few other references to this law code that's given to Israel. Leviticus 7, 17, 22, Ezekiel 4, where there's other references to these beasts tearing the flesh or tearing apart other animals. And as a result, they shouldn't eat those foods. There's also this level at which humans and beasts, instead of being in harmony and working together in creation, They're in competition for resources. They're in competition in creation. I want us to look at Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 39. And this is after Babylon is defeated and we see wild beasts take over Babylon. Hmm. So, uh, Bill, will you read that for us? Jeremiah 50, verse 39. Sure. Therefore, wild animals shall live with hyenas in Babylon and ostriches shall inhabit her. She shall never again be peopled or inhabited for all generations. Wow, that is so graphic. Yeah. 
Well, during the early weeks of the pandemic, when cities were under total lockdown and people weren't allowed to go anywhere, there were reports of wild animals starting to roam the streets um, just because there were no people there to prevent it. Yeah, I saw pictures on television. It was amazing. Yeah, sure. And so instead of being in harmony with creation, these wild beasts are now these agents of destruction. They're agents of competition with humans. So something is definitely broken here compared to what we saw in Genesis Mm -hmm. 1. Not only that, but one of the other threads that I noticed, and this is referenced many times in the Bible, is wild beasts become a threat used by one set of people for their enemies. And the phrase that you'll see a lot, and we're going to read a passage that uses this phrase, is, I'm going to feed your body to the wild beasts. And so, Mart, if you'll read 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 41 through 44 for us. Okay, this is a situation. This is David's encounter with Goliath. We read, Goliath walked out toward David with his shield-bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you'd come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. Yeah. And then David turns around and says, "He's actually, I'm going to do that to you, <laughs> Goliath. And this isn't the only time this type of a, a situation happens. Uh, Daniel is thrown to the lions when he doesn't obey the king's edict. And the Chaldeans leave Tyre in ruins for the wild beast in Isaiah 23. And this even happens to Israel during the exile. And we see that, uh, Elisa, in Psalm 79, verses 1 through 2, if you would read that for us. Okay. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They've defiled your holy temple. They've laid Jerusalem in ruins. They've given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food, the flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. Yeah, so these wild beasts have become this picture of humans being savage toward other humans. So not only are they agents of decreation in competition with humans, but humans are using the savagery of the wild beasts to be savage toward one another. And then another thread that showed up quite a bit was, and you can see this in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 26, but there's a few other references to this as well. And it's the way that the wild beasts dishonor those who die. You know, we try to honor those who die by burying them and honoring their life and remembering their life. But there's these descriptions, and you see that here in Deuteronomy 28, and your dead body shall be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and there shall be no one to frighten them away. Mm. What a horrifying scene, right? This is the picture that wild beasts begin to paint throughout the Bible, this horrifying scene of destruction and disharmony and brokenness. And the last thread that we're going to pull on in in this conversation is even the wild beasts are going to experience that. They're going to experience the brokenness of the world too. Listen to these words from the book of Joel, chapter 1, verse 20. Uh, Bill, if you'll read that for us. Sure. Even the wild animals cry to you because the water courses are dried up and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. In Hosea chapter 4, it talks about how the wild beasts will mourn and languish in the brokenness of the world. And in the passage that Bill just read, they're, they're crying out to God because all their resources are gone and they're dying. What are some of the things that you notice as we have looked at this, again, very long survey of a bunch of different passages referencing the wild beasts? 
Well, I think it goes back to where you started us off in this conversation, Daniel, and that's that the consequences of the first sin have affected the wild beasts just as dramatically as they've affected us. And we don't often think that way or pay attention to that, but it seems to me like you're making a pretty strong point of that. Yeah, what was described as a very good creation, chaos now abounds. Well, and it's true really for all of creation, if we think about it. You know, all of creation has been distorted and broken because of the original sins. And, and, you know, as a result, we're toiling and sweating and struggling to live against creation instead of in cooperation with it. And in some way, this must really be by design, too, because it's a part of the consequence, Mm -hmm. isn't it, that God Mm -hmm. pronounced Mm -hmm. on, you know, a a changed humanity and a changed world. Yeah. And I think this is a good spot to remember where we started all these conversations, which was in Mark chapter one with Jesus. And one of the things we said in that conversation is that when Jesus entered the story, something began to change. And so we've seen in this conversation how wild beasts become these agents of decreation. Even humans are using the savagery of the wild beasts to be savage to one another. It's the epitome of brokenness. And yet when we get to Jesus in Mark chapter one, it says that, He was with the wild beasts in the wilderness. And so there's some kind of truth here that Mark is pulling on. And I wonder if it has something to do with Jesus was able to go into the wilderness and be in harmony with the wild beasts again. And I think what that's painting is a picture of where all of this will be headed when we get to our last conversation, which is that creation is going to be in harmony again one day. Unfortunately, to get to that conversation, we have to go into a conversation that is quite a bit more rough than this one, and so it's going to get worse before it gets better. I think I know the answer to this for each of you because we've had enough conversations, but are there any particular passages of Scripture? You read them and you're like, I do not know how to get my mind around this, and maybe you wonder if you ever will be able to really understand There are dozens. (laughs) I'll just give you one. And we talked about it recently during Passion Week, during the Passion Mysteries conversations we had. And it's when the earthquake happens, when Jesus is crucified and the graves open up. And then in the resurrection, dead people get up and walk around all over the city. Mm. And I'm sitting there thinking... I need more. What happens next? (laughs) Do they go back into the graves? Do they die Mm -hmm. again? I mean, there's so much about that. It's just kind of, once I go down that rabbit hole, I don't come out for three or four days. Mm -hmm. I think I go to weeping and gnashing of teeth. That kind of summarizes my, my concerns. It's all through the story of Scripture, moments when God looks mean. I don't get it. You know, yeah. we've had some great conversations around this and, and have seen this character isn't mean. And so when we stumble into those, there's a lot of exploration and we can come out on the other side. But it's still like a rabbit hole yeah. I just fall down into and don't know how to get out of sometimes. You know, I agree, Elise. I'm just so thankful that together we've we've been able to come to the conclusion, you know, that even if it looks really, really bad for God, we know that behind the picture— Behind the words, there's this wonderful Mm -hmm. God of goodness, Mm -hmm. the God of creation, Mm -hmm. the God of the cross. But I struggle with the conquest, Mm -hmm. where God seems to have told his people to go into a land that was not theirs and to kill the citizens, kill the inhabitants. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, when I was in Bible college, one of my professors really helped me a lot with one statement. He said, the backdrop of every story in Scripture is the character of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So before you go into any story, you need that background of what we're told about who God is and where God's heart is and what God's character is. And so when we get into some of these thorny things, you have to start with, okay, before I go into this, who is God? Mm. What is he like? And that's always been a help to me. That is good. Yeah, the, the trouble is a lot of times, I think when we get caught up in the scriptures, because we have a high view of this being God's revelation, his inspired words, it's time we're tempted to allow a text mm. almost disfigure Mm-hmm. our understanding of God. You know, rather than saying, no, wait a minute, there's something more important than this text, yeah. and that's the story behind it yeah. that ends up coming to fulfillment in Jesus, you know, sacrificing sure. himself. And I think that's where starting with the character of God, it's almost like a discipline. Mm-hmm. My teacher was calling us to a discipline of don't start with the text and then read God into the text. Start with God and use that as the framing for whatever it is you're reading. Okay. I, I don't know if that helps any or not, but it helped me. Was he implying then that what we have to start with is what we conclude with Yeah. in the New Testament, right? What is it that the Bible tells us about who our God is and let that inform what we read in those, in okay. those tough passages? That's what I brought from it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I would like us to walk into a passage that if you haven't noticed and been disturbed by before, uh, you're welcome. (laughs) So let's practice exactly what you just said, Bill, because I think that's going to help me a lot. And just to be honest, as you see on my scripts, the conclusion on this is empty because I'm still very much struggling with the passage that we're getting ready to read with getting my mind around it. So what is the character of our God before we read this? Mm. God is love. You know, and we know that, and his love is pure and righteous, and therefore we see a tough side to it at times. But that's his character, his character Mm. so much that he actually provides a solution for our waywardness. It's love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what's so great about that, too, coming to that conclusion, is we find it in Moses Mm -hmm. on the mountain. Sure. You know, God reveals himself as a compassionate God, generous, slow to anger. Mm. And then we also get it then in Jesus, and like you say, in John's conclusion at the end. God is light. God is life. God is love. Mm -hmm. There's also an area where God's love is mysterious because it's so different from the way we love. Mm -hmm. And the way we love is rooted in our brokenness. And so we don't understand perfect love. We can't give it. We don't know how to receive it. But God's love is a perfect love. And so just by definition, I can't quite get my mind around, even though I'm agreeing with everything you two have said. Yeah. And well, somehow it has to do with his seeking our ultimate good, right? Rather than our immediate appearance of good. Yeah. And the last thing I would add, too, is we see a God who suffers with us Mm -hmm. and for Mm us. So it's not a God who allows suffering in the world and didn't experience it himself. But because of Jesus being both God and man and coming and experiencing real temptation, real brokenness, Mm -hmm. and the suffering that comes as a result of the brokenness of the world, Jesus did not sin, but he experienced the consequences of sin Mm -hmm. and brokenness. He also is Mm -hmm. a God who's experienced suffering. And so that's a beautiful picture for us to jump into Leviticus chapter 26. (laughs) And we're going to read... two sections. The first is a section that I really like. And so let's start with that one. Um, I'll read that one. Yeah, Leviticus 26 (laughs) verses 2 through 6. Go ahead, Elisa. 
Okay, so the backdrop is God's character for all of these words, okay. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commandments, I will send you rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and the grape harvest will continue until planting, and you will eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land. I will grant peace in the land, and you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. I will remove wild beasts from the land, and the sword will not pass through your country. Doesn't that sound so nice? Except for the very first word. What was the very first word again, Elisa? It's true. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Therein lies the rub. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's conditional. Yeah. Those things only happen if, Yeah. right? And let's see what happens if, or at least how Leviticus 26 describes what happens if you don't follow the decrees. Mm And Bill... You're going to let me be the bad guy, huh? <laughs> Leviticus 26, verses 21 through 22. Okay, so once again, if you remain hostile toward me and refuse to listen to me, I will multiply your affliction seven times over as your sins deserve. I will send wild animals against you, and they will rob you of your children, destroy your cattle, and make you so few in number that your roads will be deserted. Whew. Mm. Can you see why this was a passage that caused me to pause? Mm -hmm. Before we jump into exploring just this particular passage, I think a little bit of um, other context will be helpful. If we look at Ezekiel 14, verse 21, and Revelation 6, 8, what we find is that wild beasts are considered one of the four primary tools of judgment of God in the Bible. And so let's just read one of them, Ezekiel 14, 21 Elisa, if you'll read that for us. For thus says the Lord God, how much more when I send upon Jerusalem my four deadly acts of judgment, sword, famine, wild animals, and pestilence, to cut off humans and animals from it. Yeah, in Revelation 6, um, it's the pale green horse that also represents these exact same four. It's the same list of these four Mm -hmm. judgments of God, one of which is these wild beasts being part of, of God's judgment. And there's other passages that describe not only this judgment being against Israel, but this judgment of wild beasts and uh, famine and sword, pestilence being used against other nations as well, like in Jeremiah 50 and Ezekiel 39, where we see God's judgment on Babylon, God's Mm -hmm. judgment described on Gog. We see uh, God specifically talk to Israel's leaders in Isaiah 56 and say that you have left my sheep out to be devoured by the wild beasts. And so as a result, I'm going to send the wild beasts to remove you from leadership of Israel. Okay, Daniel, now you're talking about wild beasts in a literal sense here, but aren't there times in the Old Testament like Daniel 7 where wild beasts are used symbolically of the pagan nations? Mm -hmm. Could that not be what's in view? Yep, and the Antichrist in Revelation is described as a beast as well. Mm -hmm. And so there Mm -hmm. are other references for sure. And so I just want us to kind of explore what's going on here, because what it sounds like to me, and again, we have the character of God as our backdrop, Mm -hmm. but what it sounds like to me when you just look at Leviticus 26, 2 through 6, and Leviticus 26, 21 through 22, is this God is a God who says, if you do what I say and you follow me, then I'm going to make everything amazing for you. And if you don't, I'm going to send the wild beast to kill your children and kill you. 
And as we just said, that doesn't fit with the character of the God that we've described. So how do we begin to process that? No, we have to back into it, though, all the way back to what happened in the garden. How do you mean, Martin? Well, the consequences of not trusting God Mm -hmm. were horrific. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and they still are. I think that at some level, if we see this more as the natural consequences of our bad choices, then it starts to feel differently. And to me, the wild animals is less problematic than the I will send. Mm -hmm. In that sense, no matter which way it comes... What God is sending us is the consequences of our unwillingness to trust him and what he knows is best for us. Whereas his heart is to send us rescue, um, if we'll allow it, if we'll receive it, Mm -hmm. right? Sure. Yeah, and over and over again in Scripture, too, God's purposes or his, the means to an end, don't look like what he's looking for. It's a judgment really is a restorative process. Mm. The means to it don't look restorative. Yeah. Like when he brought trouble on Israel, it was to get them to change their their way of thinking and acting. It's really to pull us out of the pain rather than to yeah. put us in the pain, yeah. Well, and that's really what we experience in parenting. Mm-hmm. In the discipline process with our children, to our children, that does not look or feel restorative. Mm. It looks and feels punitive, but we know our intent as parents is to restore them onto a better path Mm. and wiser choices because we know better than our children do, and we know where the danger is and and what bad choices can lead to. So Mm. the discipline, I think discipline is a much better word than punish. Mm. The discipline is there for what you were saying, Mart, is a restorative purpose. But they don't understand that, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. The other thing, too, that has jumped out to me as I've thought about this in light of our conversation is actually something I heard recently on a podcast. Bill always makes fun of me for listening to lots of podcasts. (laughs) But um, it was a conversation they were having with where the law ends up. Moses summarizes the first five books of the Bible at the end by saying that there's two paths. There's the path to death and the path to life. And he invites them to choose life. As I've thought about the wild beasts and the brokenness of creation and even these passages that we've read, the word picture that's kind of come to mind is that God has built this very safe house for us to be protected and to be rescued from the brokenness of the world. And someone came and told us that there's wild beasts outside. And our tendency as humans is to run outside to see the wild beasts that are dangerous. (laughs) And our God is a God who in Jesus runs after us to try to get us to come back into the safety of the house. But eventually, if we continue to ignore that over and over and over again and continue to run away from this God who's pursuing us to rescue us, eventually we're going to run into the real brokenness of the world and experience the pain of running into those wild beasts. Mm -hmm. But that the heart, the picture of God, is a God who has created a place of safety and rescue for us, a place of life and invites us to choose life. And as we anticipated, this has been a difficult part of this episode, discovering that wild beasts are actually one of the four primary tools of God's judgment. But we said it would get better, and in the conclusion of this episode, we're going to see how much better when people and beasts will again live in harmony as God intended. Don't miss that part of the discussion after this word about where we'll be going in our next Discover the Word podcast. Have you ever gone through the struggle of trying to find yourself? Where would you say you most find your identity? 
in your family, or friends, in your career, or hobbies. Well, on our next Discover the Word podcast. What I'd like for us to think about is not an easy subject. I'll just put that out there right away. It's how do we think about finding our identity in Christ? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The idea of identity in Christ feels abstract, mm-hmm. right? And in some ways, it kind of feels mystical as opposed to practical. And yet, it's an idea that's deeply embedded in the New Testament, especially in Paul's letters. And it's an idea that I think, because it is so prevalent in the Scriptures, it's something that clearly our Lord wants us to know about and understand. Mm-hmm. So we want to kind of wrestle with why our identity in Christ is so important. Yeah, that's what the group explores together next time on the Discover the Word podcast. And now the conclusion of this study of Wild Beasts. I forgot to show you all this earlier, so I'm going to show you now. But I actually brought a mascot for us for these (laughs) conversations that my daughter made for me. So it's a T-Rex. And blue and green and red T-Rex. Great big head, tiny little arms. Yep. Yep. Which is pretty accurate. So just saying that, what have we been discussing this week and why would this be a good mascot for these conversations? Wild beasts. Yeah. Yeah, So we've been talking about wild beasts, (laughs) wild beasts in the Bible. I started by mentioning that some of the best Bible studies that we do as a team are when we run into a phrase or a word and we pull on the thread and see where it goes. And for me, that started in the temptation account in Mark of Jesus, where it says that Jesus was with the wild beasts. And I was like, what does that mean? Mm. Are there any other places where wild beast shows up in the Bible? And there's been quite a few. What are some of the things that we've seen where the wild beasts are referenced? We really started talking about creation and the Genesis account of God creating all kinds of animals, wild and what we would call domesticated now, and saying all, even the insects, are good, are good. Well, they were when they were created. That doesn't mean (laughs) mosquitoes are good now. (laughs) No, but in the beginning, they're a beautiful backdrop to the story. Yeah. Yeah, and they were in harmony with creation. And there was this relationship between men and women and uh, even the wild beasts and things were good. And then what happens? The fall. And with the fall, we often think about how it affected us as humankind. But I think one of the things you helped us to see is how specifically the fall also impacted the wild beasts Mm -hmm. and turned them I think your term was into agents of decreation rather than creation. Mm-hmm. In that way, it affects us as well, because sure. uh, the good that we enjoyed in the wild beast is not, not so good. Yeah. Yeah, it was really an act of terrorism that affected all nature, mm-hmm. as well as all humanity. That's a powerful way to put it, Mark. Yeah, yeah, sure yeah. is. Yeah, because there were even times where the humans used the savage wild beast to be savage to one another mm-hmm. and use it yeah. as a threat. And then in our last conversation, we saw how wild beasts affect us in that they represent the consequences of our own actions or inaction of running away from God's ideal. And oftentimes when we run away from God's ideal, we we end up in really bad spots. Sure. Today, we're going to see what changed when Jesus showed up. And this is one of those conversations that we often refer to as a now and not yet conversation, because the reality that Jesus brought that we'll see actually was prophesied about him 
in Isaiah 11, so way before Jesus came, is a reality that we begin to see maybe some pictures of while Jesus is here, but is also a reality that we're waiting for as well. And so I want to start by just looking at these amazing promises that are made as a result of the root of Jesse, who's going to come. Uh, And this is Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9. And I think you'll see pretty clearly how this connects with conversations about wild beasts. Mm -hmm. So let's go ahead and read that, Isaiah 11, verses 6 through 9, and we could just go around the table. And that day the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lay down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and the little child will lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand into the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Beautiful picture, huh? Yeah. Yeah, what jumps out to you as we read that? I love the description in um, verse 8, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp. I, I can just picture a little crawling baby going up to the hole of a snake and playing peekaboo with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. like their favorite thing in the world. And, and instead yeah. of being terrorized, being delighted yeah. at that play. What hit me about it is in that specific one that you're talking about, Elisa, is once again we see a reversal of the curse because there was a serpent that was involved in leading the man and the woman into that first sin. And now that very first threat is completely neutralized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Bill, I've never seen that before. That's really good. Mm-hmm. And overall, somebody has tamed the wild animals. Yeah. 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 That's right. Mm-hmm. And that tamer uh, or the one who brings this harmony to creation back is referred to as the shoot out of the stump of Jesse, which feels pretty confusing. What is that referencing? I think it's referencing someone who would come out of Jesse's line, and that's specifically speaking of the line of David. And it would be David's greater son who would come and make things right that Mm -hmm. sin had made wrong. And the word picture is like a tree that's been cut down, right? Yeah, exactly. And we think about family trees, you know, you trace back your lineage that way. That's good. Yeah, and then out of the stump grows a sprout Mm -hmm. and out of the sprout a branch, yeah. Yeah, and so it's a passage that regardless of what Isaiah meant when he wrote it, we look back at and we see uh, references to the Messiah who would Mm -hmm. come and make all things right in the world. And the Jews saw this as messianic too, didn't they? I mean, this is not just us as Christians reading it back centuries later and saying, oh, that's Jesus. They looked forward to anticipating a messianic figure who would come and make right what was wrong. And what we say as believers is that messianic figure is Jesus. Yeah. But they anticipated that too, right? Yep, that's exactly it. And even at the time of Jesus, there were uh, Jewish scholars that were reading passages like Isaiah 11 and expecting a Messiah to come. It was Christians who, and that's what makes them Christian, is, oh, Jesus. That's talking about Jesus. And so I want to go back. And Mart, off air, you wisely mentioned, we probably shouldn't read too much into this. But I want to reference the passage that started this whole journey for me, which was Mark chapter 1, 12 through 13. We have Jesus going into the wilderness, and who is he with? 
Well, first he's with Satan mm-hmm. and he's being tempted, but then apparently that episode ends and then he's with wild beasts and then angels. Yeah. And again, maybe we shouldn't read into it too much, but the one thing that I do see there, and this was a theme we actually couldn't spend too much time talking about, but another theme, uh, if you pull on the thread of wild beasts in the Bible, is you see uh, God's power or God's sovereignty over the wild beasts. So he's the one in control. He can control creation. He's the true ruler over creation and that idea. Mm -hmm. And so what I see in this Mark passage now, after talking through all these threads, is I see Jesus going into the wilderness and being with the wild beasts and coming out unharmed. Mm. And whether wild beasts were demonic forces that Jesus was dealing with, whether we're seeing a contrast between the angels protecting Jesus from the wild beasts or not, there seems to be just this beautiful picture in Mark of at least Mm. Jesus came out unharmed. Mm. And so we're seeing at least maybe a glimpse of some harmony of creation again. So it's kind of a preview of coming attractions, yeah. uh, maybe just a hint forward of what it's going to look like when the Isaiah 11 text is fully realized. Exactly, because that Isaiah 11, 9, they will not hurt or destroy. And there is, you know, this promise that God has brought Jesus through this, that Jesus has come through this, and he will bring us through this through Jesus as well. Yeah. And, you know, actually, Daniel, I I think you've helped me with this because I've always seen the wild beast as just being a part of a dangerous backdrop. Mm-hmm. But I think your sense of anticipation and where this is going, I think that's a really yeah. good thought. Yeah, and you know what's interesting is the term wild beast shows up a few times in the New Testament. The Mark passage is the first one, but there's another one that kind of relates. It's another thread that we could pull on. And this one's kind of interesting because if you remember, one of the things that we talked about was in Exodus, one of the pictures of the decreation was wild beasts were unclean, basically, and they acted unclean. They were agents of decreation or brokenness. But in Acts chapter 11, verse 6, listen to these words. So this is Peter's vision of the blanket coming down. And this is going to be in a few minutes after this vision happens, he's going to be invited to go to a Gentile's house and preach the good news to the Gentile's house, which was Cornelius. And the whole family gives their lives to Jesus. And in this, he says, Peter said, I looked at it closely. I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles and birds of the air, and God invites him to eat. And so wild beasts also become not only this picture of harmony of creation, but they become a picture of the harmony of two people groups that were isolated coming together, which is a beautiful picture. The Jewish and the mm-hmm. Gentile people, the inclusion right? inclusion of yeah. salvation for all, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And where we see that most clearly, and this is probably one of the most beautiful pictures <laughs> that we could read together, is in Revelation chapter 5, verse 13. And I think this is just so beautiful as we put it in the context of the wild beasts. Uh, Elisa, will you read that for us? Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So we have every creature. So the wild beasts... We have all of humanity, Revelation tells us, is together 
worshiping the lamb, which is interesting because that's another creature, um, <laughs> of course, which represents Jesus. And he's also a lion. And he's also a lion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, they're all worshiping together. How does that strike you in the context of this conversation? Yeah, it couldn't go higher. <laughs> <laughs> it couldn't be better. Yeah. It's such a harmony. It's such a restoration. You know, all the struggle and strife and things that don't fit right now, to have that end in a place of harmony and making sense mm-hmm. and being restored, yeah. that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And that's where it goes to the now and the not yet. So there's a reality that harmony is beginning to come. God's kingdom is being made real on earth. But also we're waiting for when the baby can truly put their hand in <laughs> a nest of snakes and not be bit and not be afraid mm-hmm. or the lion laying down with the lamb or in this situation, all people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, along with all the wild beasts and the livestock and the birds and the fish snakes and the snakes <laughs> all singing God's mm-hmm. praises. And so where I hope <laughs> as we've gone through this, where the hope to me just really jumps out and I get excited is, you know, at the beginning, we saw this beautiful picture of the goodness of creation and the wild beasts were a part of the goodness of creation. Then we saw this very clear picture of the brokenness of the world. It was very tangible, but then Jesus came and Jesus spent time with the wild beasts and he was that first beginning of the story changing. Something is changing because of Jesus. And so God kept that promise to send Jesus and to begin to bring harmony. And as a result of him keeping that first promise, now when we read passages like Isaiah 11 or Revelation 5, we can look back on God keeping his first promise and know that he promises to send Jesus again. And because of his faithfulness, we can trust him that one day all will be made right and we will join even the wild beasts in praising our God and our creator who loves us. That is a day that we're looking forward to, isn't it? Great conclusion to this episode called Wild Beasts here on Discover the Word. Your study partners are Mark Hahn, Bill Crowder, Elisa Morgan, and Daniel Ryan Day. Pulling on that thread of wild beasts in the Bible and discovering that this too leads us to Jesus. Now, Discover the Word is the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible, Discover the Word. encourage you to explore other studies with the group on our discovertheword.org website. Our mission in all we do here at Discover the Word and Our Daily Bread Ministries is to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. And if you'd like to come alongside and partner with us in this ministry, we invite you to lend your financial support. Simply go online to discovertheword.org and click the Donate button. You'll see some options and you can give right there. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.